Hello, this is Mike Van Meter. Welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. This podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. So for those of you that have been listening to uh, my podcast, you know that I'm all about integrated recovery and using all of the best practices that are out there, integrated recovery, um, the scientifically proven methods that help people, anything that helps people get to that place of recovery and restore their lives and and get well. And I'm always on the search, always on the lookout for people that uh, are doing the same thing and looking to take the best practices to, to help you get well. And so in that journey, I've come across um, folks from All Points North Lodge, and we have today as a guest the CEO, Noah Nordheimer, who's going to be talking to us about uh, their programs and what it is that they do to help you get well. So Noah has an, an interesting story, and he's going to be telling us about that, the work that they do, and you know how you can reach them in and uh, possibly work with them to, to get well yourself. So with that, thank you, Noah, for joining us on the program today. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, great. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. So I'm, uh, I'm originally from Washington, D.C. Um, I'm been in the behavioral health and, and substance abuse field for about 10 years now. Um, it seems like just yesterday, but, um, you know, I, we really enjoy what we do. We're passionate about the work and, and being able to help people. Um, my, my career path, you know, was, was a little bit different. I, I used to be an affordable housing developer, um, up until about a decade ago. And after I exited that business, um, the, how I got into behavioral health and substance abuse field was, um, I looked at an investment opportunity and I was really disappointed with uh, the group and their ability to look at outcomes and, and further, uh, you know, develop programs that worked. Um, so clearly didn't, didn't end up partnering with them and thought that we could do something better. Um, that was where I, I pivoted into the field and, and haven't really looked back. Um, I've built now I'm on my second company in the space, um, All Points North Lodge, which is a uh, substance abuse and, and mental health facility based in uh, just outside of Vail, Colorado in a town called Edwards. It's a 30-acre campus, um, and it has all levels of care. Um, we certainly understand that clients don't just get well from 28 or 56 days on campus at a residential level. And we've built a telehealth uh, application that continues to treat them long-term um, so they can work with their therapist or work within groups um, no matter where they came from. So we're, we're definitely advancing the ball with uh, technology and, and chasing outcomes. So what kind of technology are you using that you think would set you apart from some of the other treatment centers? Um, so on campus, we have uh, a deep TMS machine, transcranial magnetic stimulation. Um, so it's it's been FDA approved for uh, major depressive disorder. Um, it's certainly, uh, we've seen indications for anxiety. Um, it just got FDA approved for smoking cessation. So that technology... Mm-hmm. 
almost, I don't know if you've ever seen one of the machines, but it almost looks like one of the 70s style hair dryers that goes over your head. You sit in a chair and um, sessions are about 20 minutes. Um, generally, the sessions, depending on the indicated use, could be anywhere from 20 to 40 sessions. Um, generally, they want to see you come back kind of consecutive days. And uh, those sessions, what it does is it uses magnets to bring blood flow back to areas of the brain that have lost blood flow. Um, so through research, they've, they've shown that this is a great alternative to medication. Um, and for someone like me with my history, um, which I'm happy to share, you know, this is really the antithesis of big pharma. Um, transcranial magnetic stimulation because it's proven research to to achieve the same outcome or a better outcome where medications really have failed. Um, so for me, uh, that that's something I'm really interested in and continuing to do research there um, with uh, deep TMS. Uh, another um, <clears throat> another technology that we have there is a hyperbaric oxygen uh, therapy, uh, HBOT. Um, we partnered with the folks at NextGen Hyperbaric, and um, they've really been phenomenal in working with us as we want to advance you know, the science uh, and research around HBOT and behavioral health. Um, we're certainly seeing indicated uses with a lot of clients who come in with traumatic brain injury. Um, we serve uh, a lot of retired professional athletes. And what we know from data is, you know, concussions are directly linked to depression. Depression is directly linked to substance abuse. So, you know, if you kind of follow the breadcrumbs um, with professional athletes, concussions really are a turning point or a starting point for many of them um, in what leads to depression and then, you know, secondarily substance abuse and suicide uh, is pretty high for suicide rate is pretty high as well. Absolutely. And I, I think that, um, we see the trauma within them. Um, some of it happened and began earlier in life. And then uh, a lot of it happened from their careers. And I think we're really looking to serve them and, and figuring out with these technologies and with, with other traditional uh, methods, how we can best serve them. Um, and get them back on track. Uh, you know, I think for, for a lot of the athletes, their, their careers start at four or five years old. Um, and for anyone that's transitioned careers, you know, 30 or 40 years old, um, imagine their careers are over in their late 20s. And, but their career started when they were five. So there's a lot of uh, things that happen to them as they're growing up within a sport uh, and it almost becomes their identity. And I think that's one of the things that we're helping them to, to see is there's a lot more out there. And, you know, while they were achieving great success as an athlete, um, it doesn't necessarily define who they are. And uh, that's a big turning point. Well, you know what? I am so glad to hear you say that because you're talking about professional athletes. But um, my listeners in the, to this program know my background, <clears throat> military uh, police and then uh, FBI. I just retired uh, 2019 from the FBI. And that's a very common thing in my field as well because a law enforcement officer or a military officer 
it's not really a job. It's 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 who you are. It's what you are. It's your your identity. And I I experienced that myself. You know, once I retired, it's 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 like your your entire being is gone. And a lot of people think that way. And if you're still in the the throes of addiction, or if you've begun your addiction, that's a real da- dangerous combination, isn't it? I mean, that's the, that's something that. Um, we really need to have programs to to help these people that have really never thought of themselves in any other way or any other light and w- sort of get them on a track to where, you know, th- that that was your job. It was not who you were. There's a whole life ahead of you. And um, it sounds like you're doing a lot of work in that field. Absolutely. I, we work with a lot of f- frontline healthcare responders now. Um, we're, you know, getting more into the military population and, and building specialized programs for them. And certainly, I think with any any of these groups, um, you know, there's those are the challenges that you face. But also, you know, the biggest challenge that we see is stigma. Um, oh, yeah. And unfortunately, um, there's a, a larger category just below active addictions, right? They say active addictions in the United States is somewhere between 20 million, I think, and 24 million. Um, there's a much larger category that Tom McClellan, who was the ONDCP under Obama um, before Botticelli, he speaks about this phenomenally. Um, misuse is a category that's, you know, 40 million plus. And, and people from that misuse category move up and down into active addictions. But unfortunately, the way our society is built, um, the stigma that's associated with substance abuse or, or behavioral health issues um, is we don't catch people until the end, until it's really full active blown addiction. Um, whereas I think the opportunity to catch people uh, within their misuse category um, is, a, is a great opportunity. And that's something that we're really trying to get ourselves more into. Yeah, yeah. And where where are you located? Where, where are you located around the so country? I'm based in our office. We uh, All Points North Lodge is based in Edwards, Colorado. Um, I work out of our satellite office here in Malibu, California right now. I go back and forth. Um, so it just depends on the day if you find me uh, in, in California or in Colorado. Um, but our marketing team, our, our contact center, our telehealth team are based here. And, and, uh, and all of our clinical staff and medical staff are based on campus there in Colorado. Um, so we're, we're kind of back and forth. You have a pretty extensive staff there uh, as well. Can you kind of go through what, if somebody was to uh, choose APN, and, and go there for treatment. What what kind of staff and, and programs are they looking at there? Sure. I mean, we have all different types of master's levels, clinicians, um, therapists, the psychotherapists. We've got, you know, it, it starts with a really robust medical team um, from, from there, psychiatrists, uh, psych nurse practitioners. You know, uh, we've got a lot of tools in the tool belt. And everyone, I think one of the things that I saw as the opportunity within behavioral health when I got into the field was we've really got to look at people as individuals um, and treat them accordingly and come up with treatment plans that are tailored to them. Um, We don't put people into quote-unquote programs. Um, We design programs around people. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that gets lost in a lot of of treatment is, is we try and put 
you know, square pegs and round holes. And um, for us, it's about matching up a program to an individual's needs. I think when I, one of the most overused terms in behavioral health is, is meet clients where they're at, right? But when you ask someone what that really means, right, what are you doing to meet clients where they're at? Um, a lot of people get lost for words. You know, we have a family that's arriving next week. Um, so outside of the main lodge, which is about 80 beds, we've got a number of single family homes. We have a family that is coming to us. The husband and wife are, are seeking help themselves. Their kids are going to be on spring break. Um, you know, they are living in one of our homes. The The husband and wife are, are going to receive a individualized kind of custom curated treatment plan to work on themselves individually and as a couple. Um, the kids are you know, going to be skiing and, and having other activities, um, but we're trying to do you know, really a, a program that will support them. When you have an executive who can't necessarily commit to leaving his company for a month and uh, with kids and family, you know, we've got to build programs around people, not people around programs. And I, I think that's an important part of what we do, which is really individualizing care. Yeah, and that's that's very interesting. And I, no, I got to tell you, I don't know that I've ever heard of that being done in a treatment program where you have a I, home where somebody can bring not only their spouse, but their family, but yet be in treatment at the same time. It's unique. I've never seen it, that. I, I, it's a unique platform. You know, it's, it's not a typical scenario, but you listen to people's barriers, right, to them coming into treatment, and you have to solve for those things. Otherwise, it, they stay in that category where they're not getting help, where they haven't entered you know, pre-contemplation or contemplation, it's, it's you know, we've got to uh, cast a wider net and make it more inviting. I, I think within that misuse category too, for people that aren't ready to admit that they have active addictions, right? We've got to engage them in a way that they don't have to walk in the room and say, I'm an addict, right? Let's make it a softer entry point for them. They'll likely figure that out in the process but I think we've got to be more inviting to people um, because, you know, look, personal development, that field is exploding. Everybody wants to take a seminar or workshop and improve themselves these days, right? And, and it's, it's a great thing to see kind of health and wellness and personal development really taking off as we're here in 2021. But as I look at behavioral health, you know, there's a very different experience. People walk in the door with their head down. They don't feel good about it. There's shame. There's regret. There's all these things when they should be excited because it's about changing their life for the better. Oh, right? yeah. It's, yeah. And I think the stigma that comes along with it, the words we use, some of the, the, the definitions and terms, you know, make it scary for people to enter. So I think that's one of the things about when you look at our campus and you go on the website at, at apnlodge.com, you know, you'll see... Um, it was. It used to be a resort. It's really inviting to people. Uh, the staff is phenomenal. Um, we've truly recruited them from all around the world, um, and you know we're we're creating plans around people that otherwise wouldn't get into treatment. I think that's a really important aspect of of what our team does. Yeah, and I know that in in my world, the law enforcement enforcement world. Um, let, let's start with a. I don't have time to do it. 
right? I, I can't leave, Mike, you don't understand. I can't go away for a month to, to go to treatment, all right? You got that. Then you got the stigma part. You know, um, if you look at step one of AA, for example, which is a lot of work I do with, I'm powerless over alcohol. My life has become unmanageable. That that idea of powerlessness and unmanageability, that's a tough pill to swallow for the people in that field. What do you mean I'm powerless? I'm not powerless over anything. And so that's intimidating. Then the yep. stigma, you know, so that powerlessness, there's, oh, so that you have an addiction. So what you're saying is you're weak. You don't have willpower, which we know that is not true. This is a very deadly disease uh, that has a genetic predisposition, but that's a hard, you know, I think most people in the public don't quite understand that. And so that keeps people from coming in. Hey, I can control this. You know, I can control my drinking. I can control my my drugging. All these different reasons why people won't get well. And and I agree with you wholeheartedly that I think the language that's used has to be changed. The way that people come into treatment, this this almost almost like you're going away into um, you know a hospital setting, you know, and you're going into a hospital setting because there's something deeply wrong with you. All those things need to change because uh, those that are in recovery successfully, you know, long-term recovery like myself, I think most of us would admit, and you, and you would probably admit that that was the greatest achievement you ever had in your life. Overcoming my drinking was single-handedly the most important thing and most rewarding thing I ever did in my life. It's a good thing that should be celebrated, not looked down upon. And I think people don't understand that. Absolutely. It's a freeing feeling. It is something, you know, outside of having my son is probably the best achievement ever is getting off of opioids and which is, you know, no easy task. Um, and it's, it's a lot of people, unfortunately, because I think the treatment community is rooted in its ways, right? Um, it's not open. It's not inviting to people. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to get drugs or alcohol, you know, inside your system than it is to get help, right? If, if it was as easy to enter treatment as it was to get high, you you know, we wouldn't have these same challenges. Unfortunately, it's just not set up that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's, you know, a huge barrier for people, but I think really everybody is different. And I think we have to remember that so many places and programs and, and people in the community want to identify as their disease. And there's really no other chronic disease out there that people are forced to identify with, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have diabetics. And, and this is, again, 12 Steps a great program for the right person. But there are a lot of people who it won't work for, and we've got to come up with other solutions for them. Um, I think you got to have all the tools in the tool belt, right? And, and certainly... You know, there are people who uh, EMDR just they'll never respond to it. But you got to try and have different things available to see what will work. Um, you know, continuing to try and push someone down a path that hasn't worked repeatedly for them um, can can create kind of treatment fatigue, if you will. Yeah. You know, a yeah. lot of people they I think the other challenge that we see within treatment is there's a continuum of care, right? There's various levels that start at a detox level and they go all the way down to individual therapy outpatient, right? And people come in at different points in there, um, but a lot of times they're passed between providers, right? People don't offer the full continuum. So the care record is never kept intact 
And what happens is the client has to continue to tell their story over and over. And that's where they get treatment fatigue because they're kind of being passed along and uh, they never make that progress past a certain point because they get frustrated with the process. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, Noah, because I, I haven't thought about that for a very, very long time. But you just reminded me of something that I remember going through in my as I was trying to get sober. It was, uh, you know, in the early days when I would go to a, a therapist or I would go to a treatment center or I would go to a detox. I remember just being like, oh, my gosh, another nurse just walked in and she says, so why are you here? And I'm like, how many times do I have to tell this story? <laughs> I, I just remember being so burned out. It was just, you know. Can you it, talk to the last person? They can tell you the story, all right? I've told this story a hundred times. And you're right. It's just so fatiguing to go from place to place to place. It does. And I, and I think that's, and, and, and this is a symptom of all of healthcare too, right? It's it's not just behavioral health and substance abuse. I think we've got to get better at integrating care, right? Where the right hand, the left hand are coordinating and talking. You know, a lot of clients come to us these days with um, what, like myself, what started as physical pain or perceived physical pain is where their addiction started, right? As the opioid epidemic has, you know, besieged this country, um, we've we have seen people that have real pain and perceived pain, and those things have to be addressed concurrently. If someone is still having actual pain or believes they're having pain, we've got to get a team in there to address those things concurrent to what we know is an active addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, looking at these things in a silo in, in any form of healthcare um, is is crazy. We have got to look at what people eat, what their fitness level is, um, what they're doing for spirituality, or you know how they're keeping themselves balanced. You know, some people respond to meditation or breath work. Uh, other people, you see them take off once we got them into skiing or hiking or back into outdoors. And I, I think it's just a matter of finding the right combination of tools that will support somebody long term in their recovery. Right. And, and diet, uh, you mentioned diet and fitness that I know for my own recovery program, um, the foods that you eat can have a real big effect on, on your psyche and your well-being. And, you know, because we know that people that are addicted, whether it's alcohol or drugs, come in oftentimes are very malnourished. And we also know that um, when people come in with an addiction, there there is a very high chance that there's some other co-occurring disorder, meaning maybe there there's some other mental health issue that's not being addressed. And oftentimes, when you talked about the silo effect, we're treating the addiction. So let's say you come in for alcoholism. That's that's why you came to the treatment center. Okay, well, we start treating the the alcoholism, but what we didn't treat was this major disorder, uh, depressive disorder you had, or there's maybe bipolar, or, and that was not touched. Problem is, now you leave treatment, and you didn't touch this other area, so it, it just leads you back to where you were. So do yeah, you guys address of, that? Yes, absolutely. I, the majority of our clients that come in are co-occurring. Uh, yeah, so we have clients that come to us just for mental health disorders um, without substance abuse. I'd say the majority of our clients that come to us, 60% have co-occurring disorders. And then there's, you know, 30 to 40% that are um, in that, you know, mental health disorder category, uh, anxiety, depression. Um, we have a really strong trauma program. So we deal with clients that come in and 
and have severe trauma. A lot of substance abuse is actually tied back to childhood trauma. So we see clients that enter in on, on one side and end up on the other side um, in terms of their treatment programming. But, you know, it's, I think a lot of times within the industry, we talk about the symptom and the cause, right? A lot of times places treat the symptom, which is all right, you're an alcoholic or you're a drug addict without treating the cause, right? It's easy when Becky crashes the car, her family identifies that Becky was drunk. Oh, Becky has a drinking problem. Becky's going to treatment because she's an alcoholic, right? Well, you get Becky in and it's three weeks into treatment that we realize Becky was sexually abused for 10 years of her life, right? Um, and now you're, you're shifting the attention to that. So I, I think that a lot of times there's this symptom in the cause and we have to do a better job of, of treating the cause. Um, for us, you know, we're a data-driven organization. Um, we track our outcomes. Uh, we have our telehealth app that supports our clients long-term as well as tracks their progress. So we stay connected to our clients for, you know, years and years beyond their stay on campus because we know that with chronic diseases, there is no 28-day cure, right? There is no 56-day cure. You can't go somewhere for a month or two and have 20 years of, of issues resolved. It just doesn't work that way. Um, and I think we have to do a better job of educating people about how they can become healthy and how they can beat these things. Um, but it is a long-term process. I think people have to be prepared for that because there is no other chronic disease out there that's cured within a month or two. Yeah, and dealing with those issues, and I, and I like I like that because we forget that portion of addiction, and that is that, okay, I I have a drinking issue, and I've become physiologically addicted. My body's physically addicted. But what we don't do is we don't go back and look at, but what caused me to start drinking or drugging in the first place? The cause, causes and conditions, right? And and, and I, I've just seen so many treatment centers out there where that's completely ignored. It's not even addressed. It's, hey, we, oh, we, we got you, we got the acute part, the drinking or the drugging over with. But we never went back to explore why you were doing this in the first place. And, and it's really just kind of setting you up to, to do it all over again. Yeah. And I think when you don't probe and you don't have a program that identifies with trauma and trauma-informed care where you're really looking for those answers ourselves, right? Because a lot of folks don't know what's deep inside that really is causing these things. You have to pull it out of them. You have to be there to support them um, and give them a, a safe environment to have those conversations, many of those conversations that they've never had with anybody. Um, and those are hard conversations, but it's an important part of the process of, of you know, personal development and growing. I really believe that, um, you know, that's, that's where we can get in and do good work um, is, is finding what the real cause is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I totally agree. Well, that that's that's really it's really exciting. And how have you all been affected by COVID um, safety measures and things along? I'm sure that's kind of some yeah, people may use COVID, that as an obstacle. 
So we opened the facility in March of last year. So um, not the greatest time to to open a new <laughs> oh, facility, <wow. laughs> but we've been managing through it. Um, our team's unbelievable. I really uh, I can't say enough about them. Uh, what we've done is we have an assessment wing um, where our clients that are inbound and our clients come from um, all over the country. Uh, they go into the assessment wing. They receive programming, you know, immediately um, in terms of individual therapy. They get on group therapy uh, through our telehealth app, but uh, they receive care from our medical team. They're in the assessment wing for five days, so they're getting room service. Um, they're really kind of quarantined for that five-day period where we test them and, and really to keep the environment safe, and that's worked well for us. Um you know, we worked with the Eagle County Department of Health on coming up with these protocols. Um, we did have a COVID outbreak back, you know, in uh, November, and we had to shut the facility down for three weeks from new admissions. Um, and, and we've tightened up the protocols now, and it's it's working really well. Um, but certainly, you know, something we have to manage through yeah. to keep the environment safe. Yeah. Well, it's good. Well, this is this is really exciting stuff. And uh, once again, as we wrap up, uh, let let our listeners know how they can get hold of you. Yeah, they can get a hold of us at uh, apnlodge.com. dot uh, com, and uh, we're we're open twenty four seven three sixty five. We have programs for trauma, substance abuse, and mental health, uh, as well as telehealth programs for those that are not willing to travel to Colorado right now or get on a plane. Uh, we can be in treatment, you know, remote, working with our therapists, either in a group or individually, um, as well as medication management. So we're we're trying to meet clients where they're at and families where they're at and, and just do good work. And you did say that you have a follow-on program. So you stay in touch with the, the clients once they leave APN as well. We do. We transition them down into, uh, depending on what level of care they started at, in, uh, intensive outpatient and then outpatient. And we're about to be launching a really robust series of outpatient groups. One of the things that we've seen that keeps people really um, on the straight and narrow is, you know, continued treatment. But, you know, what can people commit to on a daily or weekly basis? We've been designing a really robust platform of outpatient groups, which are varying topics, right? Men's group, women's group, uh, father's group, uh, mother's group, um, you know, uh, as well as family support groups. And then you've got the specialty programs within that of, of trauma or stress, um, or you have an alcoholics group uh, or cocaine users group. So we're, we're coming up with a variety of programming that people can pop into one hour groups kind of every day. Um, and those will be rolling out here in, in just about June. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. That's exciting news. And yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us today on the show. Really nice talking with you as well and, and keep up the good work. And uh, I look forward to talking again. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'll wrap it up by just saying we always like to say uh, I don't represent any group. Um, I don't represent anyone other than myself. We're talking about um, giving you information so you can you can help yourself the way that you know we've been helped along the way in the recovery journey. And so if I said anything today that doesn't apply to you or Noah said anything that doesn't apply to you, then just discard it. But try to take some of the information that we've given you today to use it to help yourself and to help others as well because that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way and we uh, work to help impart that knowledge 
um, to others that are suffering as well. So with that, please visit our Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me know if there's any topic that you're interested in hearing, and I'd love to hear from you. Take care, and we will see you next time.